We're on a series today called The Core Values of Solid Rock. And every few years, I preached on this when we started the church four or five years ago. So I'm re-preaching a, a series of the four core values that keep our church healthy, keep our church growing, and keep our church dear to the heart of God. And so I'd like to open up with a little churchy scripture before we get into today's core value. Psalms 92.13 says this, being planted in the house of the Lord they shall flourish. It is so funny to me that human nature loves to try everything we can to accomplish something rather than the very thing that we know we're supposed to do to accomplish it. For instance, if we want our bodies to be healthy physically and we want to be strong, we want to be in shape, we will try everything we possibly can to make that happen other than diet and exercise. We'll take every pill we can find. We'll order whatever we can. I remember when I was eight years old in the 80s, I walked into my parents' bedroom, and my dad's laying in bed watching TV, and every five seconds he's going, oh, and then he wasn't, oh, and I was like, Dad, what are you doing? He said, I'm working out. I said, what do you mean? He ordered this thing from an infomercial that you put around your waist, and you electrocute yourself. You shock yourself. It's supposed to get rid of the flab and turn it into ab, and he's watching TV working out. Oh, oh. We don't want to die next. Okay, we will try everything we can to flourish in life other than be planted in the local body church. I mean, we'll pursue careers. We'll pursue money. We'll pursue relationships, and that'll make us flourish. And if this person likes me and opens up the door, but the only way the Bible says you will flourish is to be planted in a local church. Now here's the thing about being planted. When you're planted, you're planted in the good times, and you're planted in the bad times. You're planted in the winter and you're planted in the summer. You're planted when you're going through a storm of life and you're planted when you're making money and everything's great in life. We have to stay planted. Um, I picked this flower just a few minutes ago before church from outside. And I'm curious, how long do you think these flowers will flourish being unplanted? Now, they're pretty right now. They look fine right now. But in a few days, they're going to start to wither. A week from now, when these plants and these flowers are slippery, they're going to be totally and completely dead. Here's why. They became unplanted. Maybe another plant offended them. Maybe they were, part, they were sitting next to a cactus. I don't know. But for whatever reason, they became unplanted. They're never going to flourish unless they're planted in the right place in the right soil. Now, I can take these and I can plant them in the desert. Will they flourish in the desert, yes or no? Because they're planted, but it's not in the right place. If I go plant them over there on the ocean in the sand, will they flourish there, yes or no? Because they're not planted in the right place. If you want to flourish in life, you have to find a church and plant yourself there. And there's no such thing as a perfect church. And if you find one, please don't be a part of it because you will ruin it. Because you're not perfect. Find a church that, that, that preaches the word in an applicable way. If it's not this one, find one. Don't go to a church where you just want to feel good and then leave and live like the devil for six days. It's like going to a gym with a trainer. And when you get there, the trainer says, hey, just sit down and watch me work out. And I'll feed you Oreos while we're here. As long as you feel good, as long as it tastes good to you, you'll be okay. You don't want a church like that. You want a church that pushes you to lift more and more weight and go forward in Christ. And no matter what's coming against you, you're continuing to move toward your divine destiny. Amen? Okay, so what is the number one thing that causes Christians to become unplanted? It is offense. So today in part four, we're going to talk about this. We forgive. We forgive. Every time we meet together as Christians and believers, we have opportunities to get our feelings hurt. Somebody says something we don't like. A text comes through we don't understand. One of the musicians smells like pot. Whatever reason you can find, you get offended with somebody. 
Not today, but maybe another Sunday. But anyway, you know what I'm saying? So we, we all have these. The reason that, that, that we know offense will come is because people are weird. They're just totally weird. I mean, northerners are weird. Southerners are weird. Men are weird. Women are weird. Baptists are weird. Methodists are weird. We're all weird. The person next to you, incredibly weird. We have different personalities. We have different passions. We were raised in different times, in different places, with different parents. We're all unique. We're all different. Jesus said in Matthew 18, 7, offenses will come. This means you will get offended. The question is not how to not get offended. The question is, what do I do when I get offended? You're going to get offended. Northerners, they're so crass. Like, they can say things, and you think, did you really just say that out loud? And they just keep on walking. Southerners are slow as mud. You think, speed up, tell me the story, like, get on with it. What are you trying to say? I can't believe NASCAR came from the South. You, you know, if they put NASCAR up in New York or New Jersey, you put the taxi drivers in NASCAR, they'd win every single race. The Southerners are slow. Okay, we're all unique. We're all different. We have to learn how to handle offenses when they come. Matthew 18, 35 says this. My heavenly Father, this is Jesus talking, will deal with every one of you if you do not forgive from your heart all offenses. Now, this is crazy. Let me tell you why this is crazy. He's not talking to the person that offended you. He's not saying the person that did you wrong, the person that, 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 that looked at you the wrong, well, I came to church and I know they were looking at me and I waved and they didn't wave back. They were looking right at me. Or I walked in and she put her pocketbook in the chair next to her just as I was walking by for her friend that's not going to show up. And she, you know, I can't look, okay, listen, when we get offended, the responsibility is on us to deal with the offense. If we don't forgive, God deals with us. The person that did you wrong, that's between them and God, has nothing to do with you. God's talking to you. So I have three points for you today on how to handle this. Number one is this. They offended me. They offended me. They sat in my chair. They parked in my spot. They looked at me the wrong way. They just offended me. Proverbs 17, 9. He who covers and forgives an offense seeks love and keeps friends. Do you appreciate the people that God himself has put in your life? Yes or no? Yes. You will lose them if you keep getting offended. The, the friend, the spouse, the, the parents, who if you don't know how to handle it when you, offense comes your way, the Bible says you will lose those very people if you can't cover. And we live in the day and age of everybody gets offended. Look on Facebook. I mean, I was, I was reading this guy in China. He sued his parents because he was born ugly. And he won. He went to court and said, my pants were so ugly, they should have known I'd be ugly, and they shouldn't have had me. And he sued him because he was ugly. And you would have thought, if I, if I hadn't said China, you would have thought it was somebody in this room, I know. But no, it wasn't. So, so I'm joking, I'm joking, I'm joking. So he sued his parents, and he won. And in, in the New Testament, the word offense comes from the Greek word scandalon. Scandalon is literally translated bait, B-A-I-T. It's used in reference to luring an animal into a trap. When someone offends you, and I know you did nothing wrong and you're perfect and your body odor smells like roses and everything you say is godly, but when somebody offends you, that is Satan luring you into a trap to stay bitter, to stay angry. The only, listen, all offense is, when you hold on to it, all it is is unforgiveness that you've allowed in your heart. And when you get trapped into this bait of offense, listen, it keeps 
you in that place. It prevents you from going forward. You're bleeding, you're hurt, and you're not dealing with it. Sooner or later, you have to realize every time somebody offends you, that is Satan trying to pull you into a place that prevents you from continuing forward in your life. I heard somebody say this. When you forgive, you're setting a prisoner free. You will soon realize that the prisoner wasn't the other person. The prisoner was you. You think that somehow you're getting them back by you staying upset and telling three people what they did and lying in bed thinking about it. That person's moved on with their life. You need to move on with yours. Let me ask you three questions about getting offended. Um, Do you have unrealistic expectations of people? Do you expect these people in your life to perform perfectly? To always say the right thing, to respond the way you would respond, to always be godly, always be there for you. If so, I can tell you, you're somebody that gets easily offended. Um, Did this person intentionally do this to you? Did they wake up that morning and think, today's the day I'm going to offend them. As soon as I see them in church, I can't wait to offend them. I've been waiting for this since Monday of last week. Is that what they're like? Or was it just an accident and no big deal and they didn't mean to? What about this? Um, Do you ever offend other people? Now, I know you think you don't. (laughs) But the person next to you knows that you probably do because we're all you like, listen, you, how do you want people to handle it when you offend them? Yeah. Do you want them to keep dwelling on you? Do you want them to tell three people in their Bible study what you did? Do you want them to continue to what how do you or do you want them to cover, forgive and let it go? Because, listen, you will reap what you sow. I promise you. First Peter 4, 8 says this, love covers and disregards the offenses of others. There are two plants that come forth from the seed of offense. Every time you get offended, one plant can either be forgiveness and mercy, which means you'll read that back. Or the other plant can be bitterness, animosity, gossip, hatred, anger, and I promise you, you'll read that back too. It'll continue to come in your life. So there's this uh, old parable. From many years ago, this family had, uh, was coming from the west to the east to settle into a new town. And they were traveling over these great big mountains. And all of a sudden, they came across this old wise man in the mountain. And they said to him, sir, can you tell us what this next town is like? We're looking to move our family. And the old wise man said to them, what was the town like in which you came from? They said, oh, the, we didn't people there. We didn't like them. The, the leaders were very boring. Uh, the music they played, we didn't really pick that. That's not the kind of music we liked. And there were some thieves and some liars. We didn't get along with anybody. There was a bunch of negative people. The wise old man said, this next town is just like the town from which you came. They thanked him, and they continued traveling. A few days later, another family from the west traveling east was looking to reunite their family and go somewhere new. And they, too, came across the old wise man. The old wise man, when they met him, they said, can you tell us, what this next town is like. What are the people like there? The wise man said, well, what were the people like in the town from which you came? They said, oh, the people were amazing. We had such great friendships. We loved everybody. It was full of givers and life. We didn't want to leave, but we felt compelled to step out in faith and pioneer our family to a new place. The wise old man said, this next town is exactly like the town from which you came. Here's why. Wherever you go, there you are. To the pure in heart, all things are pure. Whatever's in your heart, I promise you, it'll be in the next relationship, in the next church, in the next office, in the next boss, the next business. 
Because you carry you everywhere. How you respond, how you... Listen, don't get in a new relationship if you're still bitter about the previous relationship. Because the same thing will happen with this next person. Don't come to this church if you're still mad about your previous church. When I ask you, what was your previous church like? You better say, it was an amazing church. The pastor was so handsome. We never thought we'd be able to find a more handsome pastor than that one. But we finally came to Solid Rock. We wanted to step out and faith. That's what you better say. You better not say, we didn't like the music. The leaders were slow. We couldn't believe we didn't get along with anybody. Because all that happens because what's going on inside of you. Colossians 3.13, bear with one another's faults and be quick to forgive an offense just as Christ forgave you. An offense is an event that happens in our life. But staying offended is a decision to live with unforgiveness. You will get offended, but if you choose to stay that way, that's totally and completely your decision. Okay, so number one was offense, and you just cover, overlook it, and love. Here's number two. They sinned against me. They actually did something in the Bible against me. They gossiped about me, or they were incredibly rude, or they, 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 they intentionally embarrassed me, but they sinned. What they did was a sin. What they did was unbiblical, ungodly, and they did it to me. Okay, watch this. Matthew 18, 15. If your brother, now anytime you see brother and sister, it's not talking about the evangelist that lives in Africa that you see once every five years. It's talking about the people that you are in intimate relationship with who are believers. Not the non-believers who are trying to win to the Lord. Brothers and sisters is your church family and your fellow Christians who you're in relationship with. Watch this. If your brother sins against you, go to him in private. Does it say public or private? Does it say get on Facebook and tag them in the post or does it say private? Does it say tell five ladies in your Bible study about it or does it say private? Does it say go to your pastor or does it say go to the person? Go to the person, right? In private. If he listens, then here's the goal when you go to them. You have won back your brother. Your goal is to win them back. That will never happen if you go to them and say, I can't believe what you did to me. You did this and it was so wrong. No, no, no. That's not how you win somebody back. But you must go directly to the person. Here's what's so funny. The responsibility is still on you. It's not on the person that sinned against you. Can you believe that? This is not very happy news, is it? I mean, this is not very encouraging. When someone offends you, you have to forgive and cover. When someone sins against you, you have to go to them and work it out. It seems kind of unfair to me. Um, so you go probably Now, here's the thing. Unhealthy people solicit the support from others in order to undergird their point of view. Wow. Yeah. So if, if this is something you're doing, please recognize you're very unhealthy right now. Yeah. And you need to learn. And God, if people are offending you or sinning against you, that is God teaching you, trying to teach you how to handle it his way so that your relationships stay healthy and you win them back. Stop losing relationships of people that God has put in your life. Stop losing friends from church. Stop losing friends from work. Stop losing family members that God has put in your life because you can't handle it when they sin against you. You say, I have this person in church and I go to them about all my problems and they're my counselor and I have to tell them everything. Okay, listen, that person is a horrible ungodly, no good counselor unless they tell you at the end of the conversation, okay, now you better go straight to them and work it out. Don't go to anybody else. Don't go home and dwell on and think about it. The longer you do, the more your heart gets eaten up with poison and negativity. It affects your children. It affects the other people God's put in your life. 
Go to them and work. That's the kind of counselor you need to find. So let me show you a really weird scripture in Matthew 5, 21 through 25. And I'll show you the end why it's kind of weird. But Jesus said this. You heard it said, do not murder. Now, first of all, we're not talking about murder, right? We're talking about just unforgiveness and getting offended. Do not murder. But I tell you that anyone who continues to be angry with a brother or sister will be guilty of judgment. It's like he's still talking to the people who have been hurt. He's not talking to the one that hurts you. Will be guilty. Anyone who says to a brother or sister, Raka. Now, I don't know what Raka means, but I think it's like dropping an R-bomb because it's got that hard... Right in the middle of you know, rock of you. you know, maybe it's a northern thing. I don't know. But anyway, it says is in danger of hell. Come on. How can you be in danger of hell when you're a brother and sister? Here's why: if you don't love people, the Bible says the love of God's not inside of you. So just remember that. Rock of hell. Okay. Therefore, if you're offering your gift to the altar, if you're if you're ushering people in church, if you're leading worship, if you're playing instrument, if you're prayer partner, if you're Sunday school teacher, if you're teaching the children. When you remember that your brother or sister has sinned against you, leave your gift to the altar. Go and make peace. Then come and offer your gift. Settle matters quickly at the earliest opportunity with your adversary who's taking you to court. Wait a minute. Verse 21, brother or sister. Verse 22, brother or sister. Verse 23, brother or sister. Verse 24, brother or sister. And you stayed angry. Verse 25, your adversary and now you're in court. Wow. If I asked you when you first got saved, who's going to be the adversary in your life? Who's going to be the person that you want to hire lawyers and you want them to be punished or go to jail or whatever the case is? Who are you going to fight against? The last person what you would say was somebody that you gave your heart to, that you love, that God put in your life. You'd say it's the atheist down the street or the Muslim that's blowing people up or this boss that hates me that doesn't know Jesus. You would never say my brother or sister in Christ. And just four verses later, now they're your adversary because you did not handle it God's way. Um, I'll tell you a true story about how I did the wrong thing. And I have a lot of these. So if you ever need any of these for any of your stuff, <laughs> let me know. But on. Um, Years ago, I first started pastoring, so I was very immature, very immature, and um, I was asked to play the piano for the biggest, most luxurious wedding that's ever been in Myrtle Beach. I mean, the richest of the richest family. Uh, their daughter was getting married, and um, okay, and um, don't worry about it. That's just God telling me this is a good sermon, and so... <laughs> And so um, I was so excited. I was the youngest one there. I, I, uh, the, the greatest musicians in Myrtle Beach, the greatest singers in all of Myrtle Beach were a part of this wedding. I mean, the who's who of Myrtle Beach was there. I was so excited because the song that I was doing, I was playing the piano for the number one most popular singer entertainer in Myrtle Beach. He has a concert every night. The number one show, and this was like, you know, 15, 20 years ago. So, you know, it, it's gotten, it's changed in Myrtle Beach. But at that time, he was the guy. I couldn't wait to meet him, couldn't wait to play the piano for him. And so I've been practicing for weeks and weeks and weeks. I get there at the rehearsal on Friday night, and man, everybody's there, and just there's a harpist and, and a, uh, I mean, a steel guitar. It was just amazing. It came time for my song, just of me and this guy, piano and vocal only. And I shook his hand before him. Hey, I'm John Paul. Nice to meet you. Nice to meet you, too. I said, I've heard so much about you. I'm so excited to meet you. You know, so great. And then we went up to do our song, and in the middle of the song, while we're rehearsing, in the middle of it, 
He grabs the microphone and he points to me in front of everybody and says, you're doing a horrible job. You're playing too fast. You missed two chords. I can't believe they chose you to play the piano for me. And I thought, you, I thought, Raka, you is what I thought. If I know that word, if I knew I would have thrown a Raka. But, um, and so I just kept playing. I said, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. You know, and I played, I wanted to crawl, my face turned beet red. I was so embarrassed. I wanted to cry my eyes out. I wanted to hide under the paint. I just kept playing. We ended and I left. I said, for, you know, forget it. But as soon as I left, and I'm a pastor, as soon as I left, I called three people. I said, you won't believe this jerk. Everybody in Myrtle Beach thinks he's great, and he's got the number one show. He's not great. He's a loser, and I'm never going to his show. I'm never going to his concert. I can't stand that I even got asked to play for this. I make sure everybody I talked to that night knew this guy was a jerk. The next day on the way to the wedding, I had not prayed yet, and so I was thinking, you know, when we start the song and the cameras are on and the thousand people are there, I'm going to start the song two or three keys higher. So when he gets to that high note in the middle of it, his voice will crack and I'll just keep playing and smiling and he'll look like a fool up on stage, you know. All these holy thoughts were filling my mind. And um, so I, I, we got through the wedding. I did my best. I played it correctly. It was a beautiful wedding. And as soon as the wedding was over, he ran down to the piano. He grabbed me by the arm. And he ran me in the back room. I thought he was going to punch me. I didn't know what he was going to do. And he said, he just started crying. His tears just pouring out of his eyes. He said, yesterday on the way to rehearsal, I just found out my wife of 20 years is going to leave me. When I get home tonight, none of her stuff will be there. And I don't know how I'm going to tell my son. And you remind me so much of my son. He's a young musician just like you. Man, he was crying as I was up. I grabbed his hands and I said, can you give me some free tickets to your concert? And then, no, I didn't. I, said, I grabbed him and I prayed with him. And we just prayed right there. I'm 25, 26. He's like in his 50s, much bigger, taller, much more educated, much more experienced. I'm praying for him. And then I asked him for concert tickets afterwards, which he did give. But here's the point I want to make. If I had gone to him God's way, he would have told me that in the very beginning. If I had gone to him as soon as he sinned against me, as soon as we got done, I said, listen, is there anything wrong? I'm sure you didn't mean to do that. Is there something I can do better? In a second, he would have told me his story. Thank God he came to me or I would have spent the rest of my life thinking this guy was the worst jerk. How could he treat me like that? He, we don't know what people are going through. We have no idea what happened to them last night. And they're in church today and you're going to let what they did to you cause you not to be able to bring your gift to God and do what he's called you to do. Go to them quickly and deal with it. We don't know what they're going through. We have a saying here at Solid Rock, if I am ever hurt, offended, confused by anything at this church, I will go to that person and ask them, can you please help me understand why? You don't go to that person and say, I can't believe you did this to me, you jerk. You know, I thought you were nice. But you go to them and you ask a question. Help me hear your heart. Help me understand why this happened. Proverbs 2, 3, beg for knowledge, plead for insight and understanding. You say, well, what if they don't want to be reconciled? What if they're still being a jerk? What if they're still sinning against me? Listen, it takes two to reconcile, but it only takes one person to forgive. They may not want to be your friend. That's okay. You still have to forgive. They may still be a jerk and they may have a lot of more problems than you can deal with in that moment. But you still have to forgive. The responsibility is still on you. Right. Okay, point number three. And this is not part of the core value, but I thought I'd throw this in for free, okay? Because nobody at church is going to do this to you. But 
They intentionally tried to hurt me. I mean, they, it was intentional. I was abused or they over and over again embarrassed me or they, they just hate me and they are intentionally trying to hurt me. Matthew 6, 15. Man, this sucks so bad. Watch this. If you do not forgive others their reckless and willful sins, it's still on you. It's still on you. This is not good news. Leaving them, letting them go, giving up resentment. Your Father will not forgive your sins. Man, that is not the most encouraging word I've ever heard. God has zero tolerance for unforgiveness. Zero. You know why? Because He died for you before you ever asked for forgiveness. He gave His life before you ever said, I'm sorry for the things I've done. He has zero tolerance for unforgiveness. Listen, forgiveness is not waiting for somebody to say, I'm sorry. So please understand that. You, you, can, you can wait the rest of your life. If they don't, it doesn't matter. Forgiveness is not waiting for them to say, I'm sorry. Forgiveness is not always trust. Yeah. I'm not telling you to be friends with them and go buddy-buddy and answer the phone when they call. And, oh, they make me feel so guilty. Well, then block their number. I'm not asking you to do their trust. I'm asking you, I'm asking you to forgive. Yes. Forgiveness is never speaking negatively of that person. If you're still talking about them negatively, I can just tell you, you haven't forgiven. Now, if you need to tell a story, don't bring their name up and just say, you know, this happened and God brought me through and everything's whatever. Use it as a testimony. But if you're using their name in a negative way, you have not forgiven that person. And God is holding you accountable for that. Forgiveness is accepting that their punishment won't heal us. No matter how much they're punished, they can lose their business, lose their family, lose their life. It's not going to heal your heart. Okay. Things like that do not heal our hearts. Though we think we're deceived and we think they do, they don't. Their pain will never heal your heart. Christians who get offended don't realize that our entire belief revolves around a relationship with someone who dropped every offense we committed. Please understand. Okay, so let me close with this. 1993. The U.S. Army sent a Delta Force into East Africa to capture one of the biggest drug lords around. It turned into one of the biggest gunfights these soldiers had ever seen in their career. It's the movie Black Hawk Down. True story. All of a sudden, the Black Hawk helicopter they were in was shot down to the ground by a surface-to-air missile. The Samoans captured our soldiers, took their bodies, and dragged them through the streets, celebrating our defeat. We finally sent in another team from the U.S. to recover the lives of the men and the women who survived that attack. At one point, they're under tremendous gunfire, outnumbered by the thousands. Our soldiers are all of a sudden trapped in a building, gunfire, bullets all around them. They see a truck over in the corner, so they all pile into the truck. The captain turns to the lieutenant and says, get in the driver's seat and drive. The lieutenant says to the captain, but captain... I've been shot. The captain says, Lieutenant, everybody's been shot. Shut up, get in the truck, and drive. Listen, everybody in this room has been shot. Shut up, get in the truck, and drive. We all have wounds in our heart. Shut up, get in the truck, and drive. We've all been abused by somebody in some way. Shut up. Get in the truck and drive. We've all been hurt by a close friend stabbed in the back and betrayed. Shut up. Stop talking about it. 
Get in the truck. Step into your destiny. Be planted in a church and drive. Go forward in life. Why would you want to stay there? Why would you want to sit there with the blood pouring out? I've been shot. We've all been shot. I got a few knife wounds right now in my back I'm trying to pull out. We're all hurt. We're all in pain. We've all gone through something. Shut up. Get in the truck. You know you've been dying to tell somebody that. I can feel it right now. Shut up. Get in the truck and drive. A person who cannot forgive is a person who's forgotten what they've been forgiven of. My goodness, stop talking about it. You're boring us to death. We'll drive for you. Just jump in the back of the truck. We'll throw you in the back, for heaven's sakes. Shut up. Get, why, why, deal with it. Deal with it. If it's an offense, forgive. Let it go cover. If they sinned against you, go to the person and ask questions and forgive. If they intentionally came against you, shut up. Get in the truck. Forgive and go forward in life. Those are your only options when this happens to you. Amen? And that is we forgive.